to you all again. It really is a privilege when Pastor Allen reached out and asked again that uh, he needed some help on vacation. I was honored and maybe a little bit surprised that y'all were willing to have me come back, but I'm so glad to be here with you all. It's such an, such an encouragement, um, and it's, it's a real honor to get to share God's word with you and to learn from you as we worship together. When God was making his people, Israel, into a nation at Mount Sinai, the Bible tells us that some strange things happened. This mountain that was dormant, dead, still became like a volcano. It shook and there was smoke and there were amazing sounds that caused the people of God to be afraid. And yet the most fearful thing of all for the people was hearing the word of the Lord. They asked Moses, Moses, go and speak to the Lord for us because it's, it's too fearful for us to hear God and thank the Lord. As we just mentioned, we don't have to hear his word with fear. We can hear it with joy because of Jesus Christ. But I hope that as we read God's word in a moment and consider it this morning, that we would approach it with reverence and joy because God really wants to speak to us. So I will pray, please pray with me, and then we will read God's word together. The sermon this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. Let's pray. God, you've told us that long ago you spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son. He is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. And I ask now, Jesus, that you would be radiant, that you would be shining brightly to us this morning, that you would speak to us by your spirit because we need to hear from you. Amen. What do you need the most? What is your biggest problem in life right now? There may be a number of different answers that immediately jump into your head. Uh, for me and my wife, we might say sleep, since we have an 11-month-old who sometimes struggles to sleep. There might be other things that jump to your mind, like a new job or a different situation, or since it's Christmas season, some new toy or special experience. But I believe that the Bible teaches that you really have three fundamental, three core needs. And these needs are connected to your deepest problems. So even though you have lots of needs and lots of problems this morning, we're going to see how God in his story of redemption, the story of his rescue of his people, that he meets three of your needs. The first need is your spiritual need, which I'm saying is forgiveness of sins. The second need is your relational need. And that need is reconciliation. It's being reconnected to people that you have been separated from. And finally, your psychological need, a core need in your soul, is to know and to fulfill your purpose. So we're going to be talking about those three needs this morning. Paul wrote Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, all about 
the story of redemption. And his purpose in writing it was to encourage God's people to praise God for the great story of redemption. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 12. So listen carefully as we read God's word. Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So as I just said, Paul wrote these words to tell us about the great story of God's rescue of his people. And he told us these things so that we might praise God because of it. And I I talked about needs just a moment ago, not just because we live in a culture that is driven by needs and having those needs met, but because I think that if we actually see how God has met our needs in Jesus, it will help us to praise him like we should. So that's the goal for today. I hope that as we see that God has in Jesus forgiven our sins, that he's reconciling us to all things, he's bringing union where there is disunion, and that he's invited us to be partners in the greatest work that the world has ever seen, the worship and the praising and the honoring of the living God, that as we see how God meets these needs, we will praise him and we will worship him because of it. So let's first consider, uh, before we even get to those needs, the planning of redemption. You can see in your bulletin that our big outline is we're going to talk about the planning of redemption. And then we're going to discuss together the accomplishing of redemption. And God tells us some amazing things about the planning of his redemption in this passage, especially in verses 8 through 10. And I encourage you to keep checking in your Bibles and following along as I share God's word with you. First, we see that Jesus' work for us in his life and in his death was done in all wisdom and all insight. I want you to let that sink in. All wisdom and all insight. This means that God's infinite knowledge and God's infinite wisdom, when put to work, the result is redemption. The result is the rescue of his people. The result is that sinners can be brought home to God. And I want you to think about how beautiful and fitting and wonderful our story is, the story of God's people, when we compare it with the other man-made religions of the world. What other religion and what other faith do we learn that our God has died for us, that he would be willing to take on shame 
so that we could be brought to to glory. Where else do we hear of a God who would choose the foolish and the weak in the world, that's you and me, to shame the wise and the strong? Surely God's thoughts are far above our thoughts and his ways are far above our ways. So we should praise God that his plan of redemption was the result of his wisdom and his insight. Secondly, we're told in verse 10 that in Jesus Christ, a mystery has been made known to us. Now, when the writers of the New Testament use this word mystery, we shouldn't think of our favorite murder mystery novel. Uh, We shouldn't even think of a puzzle that is particularly difficult to solve. No, a mystery in the context of the Bible is something that was once hidden or maybe once unclear that has now been revealed, that has now been brought to the light. So it's not a puzzle. It's something that was once hidden and is now revealed. And in our circles, we love to talk about the unity, the the continuing story of God's redemption, right? So redemption is a story, and it begins with the first chapter, which is creation, that God created everything and he made it good. But then what's the second chapter of the story? It's the fall, that in the garden, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they rebelled against God. They sinned against him, and we were represented by them, and we also have sinned against God. So what does God do in response? He immediately puts a plan into action, and that plan is redemption, to rescue his people from their sin. And that plan culminates in the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And the result is that we now live in a time between the ages where the kingdom of God has really come because the king, Jesus, who we celebrate his coming at Christmas, he's really showed up on the scene. And yet we know that there are people that still resist God's will. We know that we live in a world where God's rule, his reign, his righteousness, his goodness, it it isn't manifested everywhere. We know that that day is coming, but it's not here yet. And so we're waiting for a final restoration. That's the fourth chapter, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we love to think about how all of this is just one big story, and it really is. And that is amazing. We love to remember that in the Old Testament, believers were saved in the same way as we are saved in the New Testament. They were saved through trusting in the promises of God and specifically through putting their faith in the Messiah who is to come or in our case, in putting our faith in the Messiah who has come for his people, Emmanuel, God with us, as we sang earlier. It's great to think about the unity and the continuity of God's redemption, and that actually stirs our spirits to praise God when we see how big and how wonderful the story is. But this word mystery that Paul uses here helps us to see that in Jesus, something new, something new has showed up on the scene, that the kingdom of God has come in a new way. Because something which was once hidden is now revealed. And Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, he'll talk a lot about a particular mystery. The mystery that men 
and women and children from every tribe and tongue and nation, and not just the nation Israel, that all would be able to come and be citizens, be members in God's kingdom, be members of God's family through trusting the Messiah. And that is something that we kind of take for granted now, and it was hinted at in the Old Testament, but now it is made clear in Jesus. Because in Jesus, mysteries are revealed. The kingdom of God is here in a new way. And as an aside, this is why Christmas is such a big deal. And even though we aren't commanded anywhere in the Bible to celebrate Christmas, we're not commanded to give gifts to one another on December 25th, I think it's really beautiful and wise for believers to take every opportunity to celebrate the incarnation of God, that, that God would really come to dwell with his people, that the same God who shook Mount Sinai and caused it to smoke, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who created all things, the same God who knows the sinfulness of your heart completely and yet loves you anyway, this God is the one who came to be a baby, who came to dwell with his people, Emmanuel. And even if this is a message you've been hearing all your life, that is amazing. It's, we can't let the, the busyness of Christmas distract us from the beauty of the gospel. So Jesus' arrival brings something new. It brings the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God was established in Christ, God revealed many truths to his people which were previously hidden. He revealed mysteries in Jesus. So we've seen so far that God's planning of redemption was done in all wisdom and insight, and that it was done such that new mysteries were revealed when Christ came. And thirdly, I want you to see about this planning of redemption from our passage that God's plan was accomplished in the fullness of time first, and that it was accomplished according to his purpose second. And you see that in verse 10 and 11 of our passage. But what does it mean that Jesus came in the fullness of time? It means that he came at just the right time. He came in the perfect moment. He came according to God's wisdom at a time that God determined before the world began that the kingdom of God would show up in a certain moment in the person of Jesus. He determined the exact moment when mysteries would be revealed. And I, this is something that didn't just happen long ago and far away and is theoretically interesting. It's something that should be really encouraging to our hearts. Because just as God was able to determine a really big event in the coming of Jesus, he also determined and planned all of the small details that were connected with that. As we saw earlier in the reading from Micah 5, that he, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, a small, insignificant town, that he would be sent for a time into Egypt, and out of Egypt, God would call his son. And you can go on and on thinking about all of the prophecies and pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament that God planned so that we would see just how good of a God he is in this plan of redemption. This is comforting because just as God's provision of the biggest thing in Jesus 
how that came in the fullness of time at just the right time, we can also know from that that all of God's provisions will come to us in the fullness of time at just the right time. Do you ever feel like God is distant? Do you ever feel like your prayers aren't being heard? Do you feel like they're bouncing off of the ceiling? Do you ever question in your heart, even if not out loud, is God really for me? Does he really have a good plan for my life? We can take comfort that just as Jesus came in the fullness of time, every provision of our good father will come to his children at just the right time so we can trust him. But how can that be? It can only be that the timing is perfect because all of God's plan, which is done in wisdom, which reveals mysteries, which is carried out in the perfect timing, all of God's plan is done according to his purpose. Verse 11. He planned it before the world began, and God will accomplish his plan. And we should be even more confident that God is going to carry through on his word than we are that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. There's nothing that we should be more confident in that that God will do what he said he will do. I want you to picture a, maybe there's a memory that you have of a child in a grocery store or some other public context who is unfortunately throwing a temper tantrum. Maybe some of you have experienced this firsthand more recently. And I always feel for parents in this situation because it's really difficult to know how to respond when your child is just being rebellious and disobedient. And I don't think that the situation as a whole is funny. I really am sympathetic. But there is something funny about what's going on here if we think about it. Here is a 30-pound, five-year-old child who is resisting with all their might. They are flailing their arms. They are screaming. They are crying. And I think that child really thinks that if they just try hard enough, they might be able to resist their dad, even if their dad is a 200-pound giant of a man. And that's the thing that's silly. Even though it's hard when children throw temper tantrums in public, it's silly for this child to think that I can somehow resist the will of my father. Now, how much more ridiculous and silly is it for us to think that anyone could stop God's hand? And for us, those of us that are children of God, that is a great comfort. No one can stop God's plan and his plan for us is good. So when we see how big and how perfect God's story is, it gives us a greater appreciation for how we fit into that story. When we see God's working throughout history, we can be confident that he's also going to work in our own lives. And we need to know about God's plan so that we should praise him like we should. Now, let's consider how that plan, when it's carried out, when it's accomplished, in our second point, let's consider how wonderfully and amazingly God meets all of our needs in Jesus. And I want to remind you that the three basic needs that are met for us in the gospel is our spiritual need, which is forgiveness, our relational need, which is reconciliation, and our psychological need, the need of our soul to know 
and to fulfill our purpose. So let's consider how God in Christ meets your deepest spiritual need of forgiveness of sins. Redemption, we've been saying, is the story of God's rescue of his people. And in the order of verses that I read, starting in verse 7, the very first thing that we learn about this redemption is that God has purchased the redemption of his people through the blood of Jesus, and that that blood results in forgiveness of our sins. And we can be forgiven of our sins because the Bible teaches Jesus was given as our ransom. That word ransom is basically synonymous with redemption in a lot of ways, and it goes all the way back to some of the language in the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, and it can be traced throughout the whole Bible. But what is a ransom? This is a word that we actually still use today. So think of a really powerful businessman or a very important politician, and this daughter of this businessman or this politician is kidnapped. And, and what do we say when they're kidnapped? We say that they are held for ransom. And we call it a ransom because two things are always involved in ransom. There is a payment of a price and there is an exchange. That this powerful person will do anything that it takes to pay the price to secure the safety of his daughter. He would exchange anything to bring his daughter back home. And that is what God has done for us in Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for our sins by spilling his blood on the cross. And he has exchanged his life for ours. So that when we become members of God's family by faith, we don't just enter as a blank slate. We're not in a position of neutrality with God. No, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. He actually gives us his life. And the riches of God's grace, which Paul describes in verse 7, only comes through the spilled blood of Jesus. I hope you're familiar or have at least read or heard of that famous psalm, Psalm 23. And I think the imagery of Psalm 23 is really helpful for us here. How does God lead his people beside still waters? He opens a fountain for them in the blood of Jesus. How does God set a table for his people in the midst of their enemies? He offers the body of Jesus to be crushed like bread in our teeth, and he pours out his blood like wine on the cross. This is something we remember when we observe the Lord's Supper together. The riches of the grace of heaven were purchased for you by the blood of God's Son. And that grace is lavished upon you. That's the word Paul used. Lavished. It's poured out. It's abundant. God keeps giving and giving and giving because of the blood of Jesus. And we can know that God has met our deepest spiritual need right now. Because God didn't just fill our cup. What does it say in Psalm 23? Our cup overflows. God has met all of our needs in his Son. Because Jesus spilled his blood to purchase our forgiveness, we can stop seeking to fill that spiritual craving in our hearts with other things. We don't have to seek the approval of others. 
We don't have to find success at work. We don't have to find our identity even in a, a good, comfortable home life. All of these things are good and fine. We don't even need successful or well-behaved children. We don't need constant entertainment because Jesus has purchased us with his blood and all the riches of God have been lavished, poured out on us in him. You don't have to wait to taste this benefit of redemption as surely as you taste the bread and drink the wine at the Lord's Supper. We now can really experience the forgiveness of our sins. And if you haven't come to experience that forgiveness of sins, I, I urge you, run to Jesus. Trust in him. Nothing else can satisfy this deep need. We can experience it now and it can change our lives. It can be something that is objectively true of us, but it can also be something that changes the way we look at the world. If we know that we're forgiven, we can forgive others. If we know we're forgiven, we can live even when the world scoffs at us or thinks that our faith is ridiculous because God has brought us home to him in Jesus. God crushed Christ in all wisdom and insight, as it says in verse 8, revealing a mystery the prophets could have never understood in verse 9, and this was all according to his purpose. God purposed before all time to meet your deepest spiritual need through the death of his son. Are you delighting in this reality today? I hope it's something that you believe, but even more than that, I hope it's something that you'll delight in that will warm your heart, that will encourage you, that will shape the way you live. We should praise God for the forgiveness of our sins. But there is more. In the great story of redemption, God also meets our greatest relational need, and that is reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? It is the restoration of a relationship. People who are once enemies, are made friends. People who once hated each other are brought into a family. And at the heart of any reconciliation that is possible for us is our reconciliation to God. That is, that is what Jesus secured for us by forgiving our sins, that we can be brought into God's family. However, our passage teaches that God actually doesn't just reconcile him to himself, reconcile us to himself, even though that is the main thing. He also reconciles us to all things. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says that God sent his son to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I want you to think about that for a minute. Apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. We don't often think in those terms. Even people that don't consider themselves especially religious or spiritual would not say that I'm an enemy of God, but that's what the Bible teaches. We are his enemies apart from Jesus. But also, we are the enemy of one another. Even if it doesn't always feel that way, apart from the reconciliation and restoration that Jesus brings, you're the enemy of your spouse. You're the enemy of your child. You're the enemy of your neighbor. You're even the enemy of God's creation. And it took God coming in the flesh to bring you back into a proper relationship, both with God, 
with one another and with the world that God has made. When Adam sinned in the garden, the result was disintegration. That which was whole became splintered. Once every creature stood in a perfect relationship, both with God and with one another, but we know well now that our world is scarred with sin. We know well how broken our relationships have become. Some of you have felt the sting of betrayal, and it hurts the most when it comes from someone that should have loved us the most, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child or a close friend. Some of you have felt the deep pang and hurt of guilt after you've said something which hurt someone that you loved, that you couldn't get back, that would impact your relationship for years to come. Some of you, like me, have felt the deep insecurity that results from ruptured, from broken relationships. I often ask myself questions like, does this person really love me? Do they really think that I'm worthy? Do they actually enjoy being with me? We all ask these questions and it hurts the most when we aren't very confident about the answers. Have you ever felt lonely or excluded at work or at school? Have you ever felt overlooked or unappreciated even at church among God's people? Have you ever felt disrespected or betrayed at home? We know in our bones that we need reconciliation to God and to others. We long for this. We thirst for it. We hunger for it. We feel the hunger pangs of a creation which is not reconciled to its maker, as Paul writes in Romans. Adam's sin in the garden brought disintegration. That which was integrated, disintegrated. What was whole became splintered. What was complete became broken. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, his obedient life and death really does bring and really is bringing true peace and true wholeness. God in Christ is picking up the broken pieces of our world and he's putting it back together again. Jesus didn't just reconcile you to God through his blood, as amazing as that is. The Bible teaches he's also on a mission as the king and the judge of the world to renew, to fix, to resolve all things. I know that it's hard to wait in the meantime for that last day when Jesus comes and fixes everything, when God does what he's promised that he will do, when he wipes every tear from our eyes. It's hard to wait for that day in our world of broken relationships. But I want to encourage you that just like the first coming of Jesus came in the fullness of time, at just the right time, that's also true of his second coming. That God's infinite wisdom his insight, his plan is perfect, not just for what Jesus has already accomplished for us, but also for what he's doing in our lives right now and for what he's promised to do in the future. Finally, we've seen that Jesus secures for us forgiveness of sins, which meets our deepest spiritual need. He secures for us 
a reconciliation to God and to others, which is our deepest relational need. Well, he also provides for our greatest psychological need by giving us a truly satisfying purpose. Some of you have had a taste of this satisfaction, right? You've, you're working in a job currently or maybe in the past that you're just so excited about. You go to work every day and it doesn't even feel like you're working. Uh, you've heard people say that if you really find your calling in life, you'll never feel like you go to work. I'm not so sure that that's actually true. Uh, but we've tasted this, right? And some of you might be in really hard job situations right now. You might be in a job that is frustrating where you feel no connection with the fruit of your labors. You might be unemployed or underemployed. And we know just as it can be really satisfying to get a taste of our purpose in life, it can also bring despair and discouragement if we feel lost, if we don't know what God has really called us to do individually. Now, whether right now you are confident about God's purpose for you or not, I want you to know that God made you with this longing for purpose. But just like Adam's sin in the garden and our own sin as well has ruptured the relationship with God so that we need forgiveness, it's broken our relationship with one another so that we need reconciliation. It's also, in a sense, broken our relationship with ourselves. That's why we struggle to speak kindly to ourselves, so to speak. That's why we struggle at times with telling ourselves lies, with, with believing what the devil says about us instead of what God has said about us. And part of the breaking of our relationship to ourselves, the result is a loss of purpose. No matter where you're at right now, you've struggled with purpose in your life. I hate cleaning the shower. I know that it's not an incredibly difficult task, but something about the physical effort I have to put in and the regularity of it, it just drives me crazy. But I do it because I love my wife. Uh, there might be some other chore that you have that just you really hate doing it, but you know it has to get done. And that's kind of a very insignificant microscopic view of what many of us experience in a much more difficult way in our work and in our callings because the ground has been frustrated. That's what it says in Genesis 3. Our work has come under a curse. This is especially difficult in our postmodern world where we're connected to more people than ever before. I can have a conversation with someone across the planet through social media, and yet we often struggle with loneliness more than generations in the past. Since the Industrial Revolution, there are so many new industries, so many new companies, so many new technologies, so many new opportunities for work, and yet we often have lost our sense of purpose in our work. We've, we've been disconnected from the fruit of our labors, and that can be really challenging and uh, discouraging. But God has met our great psychological need in his redemption. He has given us a new purpose. And look at verse 12. That's where it tells us what our purpose is. It says, the final purpose of all redemption 
which includes forgiveness of sins, which includes being reconciled to one another, which includes the renewal of all things. This final purpose is that we might be to the praise of God's glory. There's no other work which will satisfy your soul. Even a satisfying job or a great home life would not quench this thirst. Because the great purpose for which you were made was to worship God. And in redemption, you have been invited to be a partner in that great work of honoring and praising and singing to and worshiping and obeying the living God. Are you really delighting in this reality today that God has made you to worship him? Many of you are familiar with the teaching of God's word, which we often describe or summarize as justification by faith. We've mentioned this already in our discussion of Ephesians, that God has made us righteous before him only through our faith in Jesus, that we're connected to him, that he took our unrighteousness and gave us his righteousness. And maybe you can remember when this truth really hit home for you and how it gave you a new sense of freedom in life. It actually changed your perspective on things. And I wonder if some of us, as important as that truth is, we also need to be reminded that even though that is a kind of core of the gospel that we need to know every day, that the gospel is even bigger than that. That the gospel includes the renewal of all things. It includes a story that we're invited into, and it includes God's gift of a purpose to us that we can worship him. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a prisoner of communist Russia in the 20th century, and he endured incredible hardships in prison camps in Siberia. This was one of the coldest places in the world in maybe the harshest regime, or one of the harshest regimes in the history of the world. And yet he discovered something that gave him great hope even in the midst of these incredible trials. Listen to his words. He's describing his relationship with the prison that held him. He says, bless you, prison. Bless you for being in my life. For there lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, but maturity of the human soul. And even though he doesn't say it explicitly there, for Solzhenitsyn, this meant that through a relationship with Jesus, that he could find great purpose in worshiping God. So knowing your purpose is important because it helps you to persevere in suffering. But really, there's something that's even more important than knowing your purpose. There's something that's even more important than the restoration of your relationships with one another. And believe it or not, there's actually something even more important than the forgiveness of your sins. All of those things are so important, but God has met our needs so that he could do something even greater. What is the most important thing about you? It's interesting that we usually answer that question by saying what we belong to. Uh, if someone asks you to describe yourself, you might say, I belong to this line of work, or I belong to this family, 
or I belong to this social club, or I belong to this group of people that have shared interests, or I belong to this culture. And we're onto something when we describe ourselves in this way, because who we are, our identity, is actually determined by whose we are. Who we are is determined by whose we are, by the people that we belong to. And the most important thing about you is that you belong to God and God belongs to you. That's what it says in verse 11 when it's talking about inheritance. Now that that verse can be understood in a couple different ways. It could be describing that we have been obtained as God's inheritance, that we belong to him. Some people think it's actually describing that we have obtained God as an inheritance, that either it's talking about we belong to God or God belongs to us, but the beautiful truth is that both are true. And Paul actually talks about both of these things. God is our inheritance, and God loves us so much that he describes us as his inheritance, as his special possession. Jesus said that eternal life is this, to know God. God planned and accomplished redemption so that he might give us all of himself in his son. Now, there are many ways that we could respond to God's word to us this morning, and God's spirit will apply his word to our hearts, and there might be something he's calling you individually to do in response to this. But I really think that there's this one main message and one main way that we should respond to God's word this morning. And here it is. Delight in and worship Jesus Christ. Delight in and worship Jesus Christ. He has given us our inheritance. God has given us all of himself in his son. What need are you especially aware of today? Do you feel guilt or shame as the result of a sin that you committed this morning or last week or last night? Do you feel the pain of a broken relationship? Do you feel the hopelessness of a loss of purpose? No matter where you are, know that in God's perfect plan, God has met all of your needs in his son, Jesus. Praise him because he spilled his blood. Praise him because he's uniting all things. Praise him for making you into a worshiper of the living God. Redemption is so much bigger than just you, but our God is so good and so wonderful and so in love with you that he has met all of your deepest needs in his son. Glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, I thank you that your love for us is greater than we could even imagine, that even as we get to worship you now with our brothers and sisters, that you've destined for us to worship you with all of God's people through the ages, with men and women and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation, with the angels and the saints and all creation, you 
are drawing us to be worshipers of you, and you have done so much for us in rescuing us from our sin. We love you, and we pray that you would help us now to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand as we sing and respond to God's word by worshiping him. Oh, no. 